Welcome to my monthly podcast titled Becoming a Sage. My name is Jan Freed, but you can call me Dr. Jan. I interview people about wisdom, how to find meaning on a daily basis, a concept I call breadcrumb legacy. I'm passionate about helping people get from where they are to where they want to be, particularly in the second half of life. I also say I'm out to retire the word retirement. We are not retiring from life, but we're moving on to something else. And I believe it takes time and intentional thought to successfully move on to what's next in life. I interviewed Aisha Bursall. Aisha is one of the world's leading industrial designers. She's designed hundreds of products and her work can be found in the permanent collection at the Museum of Modern Art. Interior Design Magazine awarded her best of year product designer in 2020. She's one of Fast Company's most creative people in business. She is named one of the world's top eight coaches by Thinkers 50 for Marshall Goldsmith's Distinguished Achievement Award for Coaching and Mentoring. She's the author of Design the Life You Love and is recognized as the number one coach for life design. Her new book, Design the Long Life You Love, was published in December of 2022. Aisha was born in Turkey, came to New York City with a Fulbright scholarship, where she now lives and works. For more information on Aisha, please refer to her bio attached to this podcast. Now listen to our interesting conversation. Welcome to the series, Aisha. Dan, thank you so much for having me again. I'm very flattered. I, I did. I interviewed. I must have done something right the first time. <laughs> you did. And, you know, both of your books, um, I wish I would have, you know, I wish I could have had some influence, more influence on my book. I did like the cover because I designed it. But your book, everything about your books reflect creativity, design, everything, your drawings, your emails. They're just so creative. And, um, so I wanted to say that, and I want to explain to everybody how I discovered you and your work. I was interviewing Marshall Goldsmith, as we mentioned him in the introduction, one of the top, if not the top, um, executive coach. And he shared with me how he attended your workshop and it changed his life. As a result, he created MG100, which now is more than, I don't know, 250 or more members, he came up with the idea of sharing all that he knows with as many people as possible, given the time that he has left. And he does this free. In fact, this is a story that I tell in my Breadcrumb Legacy book about um, the impact of Marshall, but it's a perfect example of what I would call legacy work. Thinking about what can outlive you? What, you know, what are you really uh, leaving and the impact that you're having? And think about all the people he's having an impact on. Um, in fact, I quote Aisha, I quote you in my book. Um, so I interviewed you about your previous book, and now we're just going to kind of dive into all of this. Um, as a designer, how did you get the inspiration to write, you know, your book about designing the life you love? You know, it's a brilliant, I love, I love the whole concept, but how, where did you get the idea? You know, Jan, years and years ago, I was part of this organization called Women Presidents Organization, WPO, uh, and was part of a New York chapter. And one of the exercises we did was uh, to define our mission in one sentence. And I was young and I didn't take it seriously. And I was like, how can you define your mission in one sentence? And 
but I was the only designer in the room. So I thought I need to say something about design, but I want to be funny. And so I said, my mission in life is to design the life I love. I don't know why I said it, <laughs> but it's stuck to me ever since. And so when I developed my design process, deconstruction, reconstruction, the two things came together and I wanted to see if I could apply my design process, deconstruction, reconstruction to our life, kind of like a proof point, yes, both yeah. for the process, but also for this idea of like, can we really design our life? And the, the, inter the serendipitous thing was one of my friends from the WPO group, um, she, Shirley Moulton. She was doing, uh, she was just starting her company, Academy of Life. And she said, you should do a workshop about that because she knew she was in that room when I first said it. And then she also wanted to see, um, you know, bring this idea of um, designing your life to, to the world. And so that's how I started. Well, I love that. And since you mentioned it, I had this down as a question. Deconstruction, reconstruction, you say that's a thread that runs through your work. Uh, most people are not going to know what that means. So what does that mean? So most people actually know deconstruction, right? Because, okay. you know, you, you read an article and somebody will say, you know, if you deconstruct our political system, you sure. know, or, you know, if you deconstruct a, a toaster, this and that. So it's very much in our kind of language, but it would, it really means is breaking down to its smaller pieces uh -huh. so that you can see what something is made up of. And I always say, okay, great. You know, you deconstruct something, but you have to reconstruct it. Sure. Put it back together. Otherwise it's very destructive. You know, you, you've, broken something into its pieces but now what you know so that that's the process is the now what now that you've looked at what something is made up of you could say oh you know some of these parts I don't want anymore yeah and I want to bring some new things and these other things I want to keep and you realize that you have control over the parts that you can move change combine things differently sure. and then um, and that gets your ideas, you start generating ideas, basically, in permutations of ideas. Yeah. Well, I and, think that's interesting yeah. because, you know, writers like Chip Conley, uh, who we both know, they yeah. often talk about, he talks about editing your life, you know, edit out what you don't need and curate and um, gardeners talk about pulling weeds, you know, in order for make room for other things to grow, you know, so I think all these metaphors are interesting. Yes, absolutely. So there's what you want to avoid. You uh -huh. know, so, um, that's something that I talk about uh, in my book. Uh, and then what you want to keep. Yes. Right? And then the, the question becomes often, um, there are things that we want and there are things that we need that are in opposition. And how do you make those things coexist? Because if you can make opposing things coexist, you can create new value. And I'll give you a very um, simple example that I love using and I, I actually practice. And that is, I want to be on vacation, but I need to work. Vacation and 
work they they're opposing ideas right uh-huh. um, if you have if you're on vacation you're not working if you're working you're not on vacation but what if you were you know and what if work felt like vacation and you could do some work while you you're on vacation that becomes an incredibly powerful value and so I tell people if you want to have your cake and eat it too <laughs> then do that as well like think about what you want and what you need and can you make those things coexist that is brilliant I'll be thinking about that for a long time <laughs> no that's great like well, what we're doing right now right does it feel like you're working no no no, right. fact, I've often said, I say that if I could have anyone's job in the whole world, I would like to be Terry Gross on NPR. Oh my God. And she interviews people about books, about movies, about, you know, I mean, I love to interview people. And so I've had this podcast for probably at least 10 years. So I was kind of in ahead of the game and, you know. Um, you okay, know, so I'll tell you, I, I would want to be Krista Tippett. And I like Krista Tippett too. I like, I, I agree. I love, I love her. Um, either one would do for me. <laughs> I love to interview people. And um, so for the podcast, for me, my mission. So it's interesting when you said your mission, design the life. I want to design the life I love. I say, I want to keep learning and share what I'm learning with others. So as a former professor, you know, I, you know, I have a blog, you know, newsletter, I do podcasts, workshops, coaching, whatever. Um, so I think having a personal mission statement is important. Well, let's go back to your books. So how does your latest book design the long life you love? How is it different from, there it is. How is it different from your, uh, the other book? First of all, it's blue. It's blue. The other <laughs> red. The other one's red. Exactly. And um, and this one is, the, the first book was really about process, mm -hmm. but it didn't really give you lessons. Whereas this is also process, but it gives you lessons that I've learned from older people. Mm -hmm. Sages, like you call them. Yeah, sages. Yes, beautiful. And so it has a point of view about love, purpose, well-being, and friendship that comes from our research with people who are 65 all the way to 90, who designed their lives with us, and then we learned from them. Yes. Well, I want to probe that a little bit because uh, you're so kind that you offer these, and I discovered it through Todd Churches. That's how I discovered your weekly teas. Uh, TEA, T's. And, yeah. uh, you know, where you explain or you have someone, you know, it's, it's a learning opportunity. And one week you were talking about, uh, because I'm very passionate about this whole idea of uh, relationships and friends, particularly as we gain in life experience or get older, um, you know, relationships are really, uh, connection is protection relationships are important and you kind of went through this process of your way of describing the value of relationships or how to make 
new relationships. I, I don't remember yeah, all the Making uh, friendship factories. Yes, friendship factory. Can you explain that, please? I love that. Yeah, I, it's one of my favorite things about the, the book is um, I realized that love is found, but friendships are made. And as soon as I thought, oh, friendships are made, that makes that 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 means you can manufacture friendships. Uh, because I'm an industrial designer and I understand the idea of making things and so uh, and usually making things in factories. So I thought, oh, friendship factories. So what are the um, elements that would make a friendship factory? And I realized that it's when you have shared space, shared time and shared interests, that is a great ground for making friends. And then you need to build trust. And so there are things that accelerate that trust that you need as part of that factory. And trust is, it could be a common friend. It could be somebody introducing you. It could be somebody that you um, admire. Uh, it could be even a brand, you know. It, um, so those things accelerate trust. And so now, for example, when I speak at conferences, I tell people, you're at a friendship factory. I love that. Use this moment to, because you have shared time, shared place, shared interest, and then you trust something, that conference, for example, or the organizer or the uh, master of ceremony, somebody, um, because you're all there together to use this moment to make new friends. And in fact, I tell people from the stage, I actually, I'm here to make friends. And so then I make friends. It's so interesting, Jan, when you tell people I'm here to make friends, they come and talk to you afterwards. I, I can't tell you in your, your weekly teas uh, is another way of making friends. It I mean, is. I've already, you know, reached out to, you know, Meltem and somebody you know. So, um, yeah. no. It, yeah, it, Todd, it, Todd Churches, who's uh, one of my friends who comes to the, uh, he's also, he's an NYU professor, a Columbia yeah. professor and uh, um, an author of visual leadership. Yes. And he, I've done, my last uh, virtual tea this week was 136. And Todd probably has come to at least a hundred of them. And so, and Todd. That <laughs> Todd, is impressive, yes. Yeah, it really is. And he does two things that I really admire. I, I feel like he gets a lot out of these virtual teas. One is he tells me like every virtual tea, I've, I have notebooks and notebooks of notes. Because, you know, what I'm saying, what the participants are saying, and then we have speakers, what the speakers are saying. He just like, and he he's an amazing um, blogger. And um, you know, so he, 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 he writes these things down and, and he reaches out to people and connects with them on LinkedIn or, uh -huh. uh, so he really knows how to make friends at the virtual tea because it is a friendship factory. And the reason that I'm explaining this is so that maybe your listeners will also join us um, to make friends and to learn new things. Yes, and I can put that when I'm promoting um, this, this podcast. So that's wonderful. Well, that is a great explanation. Um, honestly, Aisha, I could talk to you forever. 
Um, I like to ask my guests, my, my passion is diff, um, legacy. So when I say legacy, what story comes to mind? And I did mention Marshall Goldsmith's story uh, and he attributes all that to you. So what other story comes to mind? I mean, honestly, your tease could be a legacy story. I mean. You know, so interesting because a friend of mine uh, the other day said to me, like, Aisha, are you thinking about your work as a legacy? And it, I sat up and listened. I was like, I hadn't thought about it. Uh -huh. Like that your work can live beyond you. Yes. It's such a, an exciting idea. And Marshall had told me, uh, you know, Buddha is somebody who has an incredible legacy without even writing a book. You know, we, we're still practicing his teachings. Yes. And, and, you know, that's very inspirational to Marshall. And so those are the things that come to my mind when I think of legacy and also um, one of my teachers at Pratt Institute, Rowena Reed Costello, I think of her because, um, so I did my undergraduate at, uh, my undergraduate, my graduate, uh, my master's at Pratt Institute and Rowena Reed Costello was my teacher. Uh -huh. And she was 80 some years old. Her, her age was a mystery, but she was the most admired teacher and, what she would teach us was um, she taught designers how to think in three dimensions uh, the same way you would teach musicians about notes and music. She would teach us about three dimensions. You know, how do you create a visual balance? What's a dominant form and a subdominant form and a subordinate form? What's negative space? And how do you, like, how do you, tune your senses to understand what a beautiful spatial relationship is and I learned from her that to, that's her legacy mm -hmm. you know that was so powerful um, and she made something that is highly conceptual accessible to students mm -hmm. and to me I want that to be my legacy um, where where I can say I really tried to make this idea of design a high concept, very accessible to people. And, and I would say that you're all you're already doing it, Aisha. You're <laughs> already doing it. It's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's just great. Well, I mean, I what makes it, you know, Jan, when you say that, I, I realize that we all have a life, right? Yeah. So then life becomes our shared project. And anybody who has a life can practice designing. Mm -hmm. That that really is the um, the yeah. idea. No, that's wonderful. Well, you're already you're already designing it, and you're designing breadcrumbs like no one else. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you. You are. You really are. Well, I'm super I always, flattered. I always like to ask my guests, "What else should I have asked? What else do my listeners need to know?" Um, and you know that really is important for you to share or one of the things that you enjoy sharing the most or that we haven't talked about you know the thing that just popped into my head is love okay because um 
I think that everything we do is an expression of our love uh, for each other, for ourselves. And, you know, when I started design the life I love, the love piece was really important to say that you're going to problem solve because design is problem solving. That's the process. Mm-hmm. And but you're going to problem solve to move you closer to something that you enjoy, that gives you joy, that makes you happy. That's the love part. And I've found that the now that I'm a little bit older, you know, like you say, this, this being a sage, yeah, um, that doing things with love and even the things that are drudgery doing them with love changes everything. So I just wanted to say that to, and I think it'll, it'll resonate with your listeners. Um, so when I write an email, which to me is the biggest drudgery of all, I try to think, but I'm reaching out to someone with love, you know, and how am I going to do that? Or when I cook something, I, I'm putting love into it. And if you start thinking like that, it changes things. I Again, I think it's brilliant um, because it does change things. And really, I call these little breadcrumbs so that um, I had another person who I interviewed who talked about um, it, it was um, Carol Orsburn. You may not know her. She's written uh, several, several books on midlife. You might you might look her up, Carol Orsburn. S-B-O-R-N. She's very creative. She's very fun. And her last book was called The Making of an Old Soul. But she used, and it's fascinating. Um, Anyway, she used an example of a breadcrumb. She said the same thing. When I write an email, I really, you know, that's an interaction. That's an impact. That's going to land in somebody's inbox. And I want it to be a good, uh, a good memory. So I think that's wonderful. I love that. Um, any other last words of wisdom? Any other breadcrumbs? Any other breadcrumbs? <laughs> You're scattering breadcrumbs here. I love it. And they're, and they're brilliant. Oh, thank you. No, I think it's your questions that does that, but it, uh, I love the idea of a breadcrumb to help you find your home. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, One of the breadcrumbs that I thought about recently that really made an impact on my life was, um, you know, I often wake up a pessimist and, you know, with dark thoughts and... um, I would never believe that. I would never believe that. I know, right? That's why I'm saying it. It's, uh, you know, all the things that I was supposed to do that I didn't do or like... I feel uh, imposter syndrome. Uh, And so I came across a poem uh, from Rumi, the Sufi poet. Mm -hmm. I don't have a a good memory for poetry, but the gist of it is the poem talked about how when you wake up with fear in your heart, and I thought to myself, Rumi has, he woke up with, you know, the Sufi poet, he had fear in his heart. How is that possible? But he says, when you wake up with fear in your heart, 
before you go to your workroom, pick up an instrument and do something creative. So I butchered, that's not the poem. I'm just saying the, the, sure. the meaning of the poem right. is when you wake up, before you sit down to work, do something creative. And so, so many of um, people that I work with are incredibly creative, but would never think of themselves as creative. Uh, I mean, that's the great joy of teaching people how to design their life is realizing how extraordinarily creative everybody is. Mm -hmm. They just need a process. So, so I'm speaking to everyone and don't say, oh, I'm not creative. Like we're all creative. Either we write well or we're creative with numbers or we're, you know, we play music or we draw or we take pictures. There's something, right? Or we, we're very creative with food, something. Um, and to, to wake up and to do something creative for like five, 10 minutes changes Everything changes the way you think, because when you do something creative, you're connected to something bigger than yourself. You've created something out of nothing, even if it's just a beautiful song for, for a couple of minutes. And it connects you with this side of yourself um, that then carries you throughout the day. And a lot of people like say, Oh, in the morning, do gratitude journaling, meditation. Yes. And then also do something creative. Well, I my two favorite words are wisdom and creativity. There we go. See? Now, curiosity, curiosity, three words. Okay. I think curiosity leads to creativity and leads to wisdom. So they're all interrelated, but you are wise. You are definitely creative and certainly curious. That is true. Um, and I would, <laughs> I would also add kind. Well, I like to say, I say that my, my purpose, my goal is to help people make the rest of life the best of life. So may the rest be the best for you. Oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you, Jen. And, and I look to forward you. to meeting you in person in London. Yes, for Thinkers 50. Yes. I, I'm just there as a spectator, but, and there is a groupie. <laughs> I want to meet all these people in person. So I say thank you very much. Um, I'm, I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful as well. And I'll thank see you then. on Wednesday. Or when I, whenever I can. And I'll, maybe I'll see your, your listeners as well. That'd be great.